Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, here we go. Episode 30 on A Few Good Physios. Today we have Luke Bongiorno. It is a true pleasure because he has a lot of history with both Eric and I, and yes. we're extremely excited to have him on. Luke, thank you so much for coming. We're really excited, and this I think this is going to be great. Yes, thank you for coming, Master Luke. Luke played a, a critical critical phase in both of our uh, careers, Yes, giving us the opportunity to start at New York Sports Med. So that's kind of how we all know each other, but I'll let Luke introduce himself. Well, thank yeah. you, uh, Lee and Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. <laughs> it's going to be some fun. Yeah. Um, so um, Luke Bonjour, I'm a physical therapist mm-hmm. from Australia originally, um, and then I moved to the States. I practiced for a year and came over as a traveling PT or physio. And thought that was it. I was just going to stay a year. And, of course, I f- still feel like I'm a traveling physio all over the place. But um, <laughs> it's uh, 20 years later. Um, wow. And, you know, I was trained in Australia. So my primary background was, you know, manual therapy. Um, and, of course, when I came to the st- – I came out of the States not for professional development. It was more just for a little adventure with a bunch of uh, – friends we'd we'd all been to university together college together Hmm. and then I thought that oh if I stay here I'm going to lose my skills because you know Australians always think that they're better than everyone else at physio (laughs) (laughs) those manual skills rightfully uh, so yeah but I must admit I've learned so much and I just sort of said all right I better take every course so I started taking all the continuing education courses and then um it's been a very interesting evolution you know Thinking of you know the sports and, and fitness um, side of things, one of the first uh, conferences I went to was out in Detroit, Michigan. I was living in Northwest Indiana at the time, wow. working at a nursing home. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I remember parking my car, thinking, "All right, psyching myself to go in." You know, <laughs> the, the the stench of um, anyway. But it was <laughs> that's where I started I in uh, you know the jobs that the, I guess the Americans didn't really want, but. Um, so, but it was on, uh, I met Gary Gray and, and looked at a lot of the functional training. I thought, this is stuff that we just didn't really do as physios back home. You know, you'd you'd mobilize the joint, you'd give them some corrective exercises and sort of send them on their way. And that sort of got me into, it was like a sports medicine conference. And I started to think about integrating it. And I remember one of my big, um, I guess, mentors or um, inspirations at the time was also Brian Mulligan, who did like mobilization yeah. with movement. Mm-hmm. And the active component made a lot of sense to me. Um, and that's when I was actually going to the gym and doing weight training myself and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. So, um, you know, and then from there, uh, gravitated my way via Philadelphia. Um, I mm-hmm. lived there for a year and then moved up to New York. Um, not thinking so. I'd last long. I thought, well, I can't afford to live up there. And <laughs> um, I had 20 hours a week 
of work, lived in Brooklyn, um, worked out in Rockaway. Wow. And then uh, moved into the city. Um, And then uh, I guess maybe worked at a place, yeah, Sutton Place Physical Therapy and um, uh, I was still back and forth with uh, Rockaway Park. Then moved into hands-on where I was doing teaching, and that's where I started teaching manual therapy courses, primarily trigger point. Mm-hmm. I go, you every guys day. have <laughs> use it every yeah. day. <laughs> Unbelievable. And again, you know, it's been very interesting. And mm. you know, I know you guys have spoken a lot about Patrick Lyons. I got to give him a shout out because he yes. was someone that challenged me a lot, and I like I like that challenge us um, all. Yeah, of <laughs> course, because it's a challenge. You thinking, all right, I'm teaching these courses. He goes, yeah, but Luke, you know, what what do you what are you saying? What is it? The theory? And I thought, you know what? He's got a point. Now, I'm not going to change necessarily what I'm doing, but perhaps the dialogue. And that's when I probably started to get um, more into the pain science. And I was very fortunate enough to meet David Butler back in 2004, 2005. He was um, hands-on seminars who I was teaching wow. with brought him on. And, hmm. you know, because we were both Aussies, we sort of, you know, we were both a little bit nutty we um <laughs> we uh we got along fairly well and i started to get more and more into the pain science um you know my first ever job back in melbourne which i didn't really mention earlier was in a multi-trauma unit so i was ortho and neuro i always mm. was more of a neuro focused physio i would consider mm. myself i never thought that i would end up sort of i guess in sports medicine mm-hmm. um <laughs> I wasn't like, you know, all the other, all the other physios, yeah, I want to do sports. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, but I like the brain and I, it was never, the knee was sort of, I thought if I just look at the knee, it's sort of a bit boring. I remember I just, I don't want to see a knee and do these tests and, um, (laughs) but it was very interesting because, you know, that was 96 I graduated. So almost 10 years later, I've started to get more and more in the pain science. And then, you know, David had asked me to sort of start, you know, would I be interested in teaching for Noi Group? At that time, we'd started... New York Sports Med, yes. 2007, yes. and then his wife was like, he doesn't have time. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And, of course, you know, t- tr- I still love treating, um, teaching, uh, running the business, you know, you know, years later then um, finally when I guess we had the acquisition, that's when I started to say, right, I really – what do I really love to do? Um, I don't need to be a business owner. I can – I love um, teaching um, and I was fortunate enough, we had a great clinical program there and um, that was my, one of my big passions and I've been mm. lucky to to continue that. So now my, I won't say I don't teach manual therapy, but I'm thinking, I think of manual therapy as more of an educative tool, a way to get patients in touch with themselves. And um, when you're having trouble with verbal dialogue, having mm. them explaining pain, you know, it's it's about let's see how we can know that I'm on your side and, and, you know, obviously touch is a very um, critical part of that, um, as you both know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it builds trust. And, that's, uh, a, that's well huge. put, though, in terms of, you know, you don't necessarily dispel manual, but it's still in your toolbox. It's just um, the framework, the perspective of what's actually yeah. happening. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm teaching courses now in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, um, and that's one of the things it's like, well, hands on or hands off. And I'm like, well, no, it's not either of those because you can turn a lot of therapists off. And, um, I guess one of the things is we're, we're trying to educate our patients, you know, have conceptual change on their thoughts and belief processes and understanding what their pain is. But as therapists, we need to actually be open to that conceptually 
cha- conceptual change and radically challenge the way we think about how we learn things in school. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, now I've just, it's been an interesting process transitioning out of the company that mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess oh, was yeah. our little baby. Um, and now I've sort of find my way into professional sports world, right. which is, um, a whole different world and I'm, I'm the educator. So now I'm, um, I work as a consultant at the players association. So essentially the, the players rep and then, you know, consulting for various teams. Right. And it's, it's very interesting because I, I say these guys are like workers comp patients. They're hmm. highly paid workers compensation paces. So they're they're mm-hmm. still young men, humans that have the same fears, insecurities and, and dynamics as anyone else. And the franchises are run like businesses um, so it's been interesting having the experience, I guess, as the, the therapist, you know, the, the therapist, the manager and the owner, the, you know, the player, the coach and the, the owner and, and seeing the dynamics. So how receptive is, um, that world to pain science in general? I mean, cause it is very, as my understanding is there's a, the medical establishment is pretty well entrenched, uh, within mm-hmm. there and there, um, they definitely seem Again, again, I'm, ta- I'm using generalizations because I know nothing of it, but uh, I would think they use more of a patho-anatomical model with a lot of these guys. Definitely. Um, you know, I worked with a pretty high-profile case last year, um, you know, without mentioning names or teams, um, right. and I, I, was, I encountered that. and was like, well, you know, tendon science we need to load. It was definitely patho-anatomical, biomechanically based. They said, well, where's the objective measures here? And I said, well, pain is a subjective experience. It's output from the brain. Like, but we've never seen this. I said, well, welcome to the everyday world. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, this is what, you know. And I think now having dealt with, because players are getting a lot more educated, there's a lot more at stake in terms of their contracts, um, you know, the money's involved, uh, the cost of missing games is like lost productivity at work. Yes. And franchises, just like employers in the general community, are starting to wake up to think, well, wait a minute, we'd better change our approach here because it's costing us a lot of money. And it's not like the old days where um, players would just get out there and play. They're thinking more about the longevity of their careers. Right. So there is a shift. Um, would I say this? It's the sports medicine world is quite ready Possibly not quite yet, but no. um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we're getting there. And um, one of the teams, actually, I can I can mention them. Um, Oklahoma City actually uh, got all their staff to take the Explain Pain course wow. uh, from Nor that, Group. Um, and I know the yeah, and I know the PT there really well, Donnie um, Strack, who's fantastic. And they've had a couple of issues with chronic pain and um, return to play and, and mm. fear. And that that was a really great experience. And when uh, that team came and played in New York. They um, a couple of the staff that didn't go actually came and did a a course, and one of them was the strength and conditioning guy. Oh, and wow. it was interesting seeing him listening there. And at one point, I just said, "Look, just get up on the table and you know, <laughs> well, right, get him to breathe. <laughs> yeah, got him to breathe and look at <laughs> you know, did a Thomas test, and then just you know, he's going, oh, my hip flexors are super tight, and then just did some diaphragmatic breathing, and then reassess, and he's gone, oh." That chain, he goes, oh, I felt it in my body. I said, well, there you go. And he, that, and you can see the sort of when when the experiential learning happens, that's when it's like, okay. Um, so there's definitely, I would say, an openness to mm-hmm. it. Um, and I'm noticing it 
you know, more and more. So um, I'd love it if um, – I think it would be great uh, for – I guess for the PT world, the the strength and conditioning world, and the the professional sports world, if it could be embraced at a at a higher level, um, and almost like a you know, of course I'm biased, but some sort of mandatory education in the understanding of pain um, at all levels to help both the team, the athlete, um, you know, and you know, society in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would. It, I mean, we've talked about this at length, but I mean, it would. Um... I mean, there's a lot of stake, right? There's a lot of stakeholders here, and um, if of course, if uh, <laughs> you know, if you could, you know, release some pressure in your hip flexor by just breathing, then maybe you don't have to spend X dollars on someone helping you do what you need to do. Or again, I think there's a lot, a lot at stake, but overall, it would be a benefit to us all if, if we had this information. If I mean, if they had um, the entire team, you said Oklahoma City. Yeah, um, Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, so not the te- not the not the team, the the, 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 staff. the, the medical staff. Yeah. Although um, one of the teams, the um, owner approached me and said, "Look, if you could actually do a seminar for the players, which I thought was a really cool idea." Yeah. It's another one. I mean, um, because they're getting a few players uh, that are starting to sort of question. He goes, "Look, if you can just do it for the players, they do. Um, most teams have some sort of." Education and the sixes, they have a player comes and talks about a subject, you know, once a month. They'll have like an in service, like we would have, right? Right, that is a new, that is in the cool new sports mode. yeah. So yeah. that would be kind of cool, yeah. So, I mean, if that keeps happening, if they spread it kind of to the, the masses, I think that's like the first step, right? And then the acceptance part, like how we went about it too, like you know, Patrick Lyons was probably my first introduction to the stuff. and Complete rejection right off the bat, like complete. Like as soon as he showed me the the website on Soma Simple, I was reading it. And I was like, "What is this?" I was like, "None of this makes any sense." So like for our training to have this, even though we, it was instilled in us through PT school and the right out of it, it still took a lot of time to turn around and make that you know the cognitive restructuring. And I feel like with uh, athletes, the same kind of thing. They've been told, especially professional athletes, how many years have been playing the game and what they've been told over those years about their body, that's kind of driven into their nervous system. So if they start to gently of get this stuff. And if they've gone back to, you know, it's like returning to work. Again, I use that analogy a lot because it really is, it does follow suit. If, if they've mm. gone back, they get to a certain level and they're like, oh, look, he gets to the court and then then he, fr- he can't go back again. You know, and I had an mm. example the other day, the, the, the athlete, you know, he likes to, put on a bit of a show and he's out there on the court in front of all the fans just warming up. He's not playing, but his performance was so much different than when he's in the training room and no one's watching him. Like, well, you know, he can shut off his opioid system, you know, given the context. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I mean, that that's huge. And I think it is becoming more widespread. I do think it's also like definitely with the trainers, uh, strength conditioning coaches, Trainers, uh, PTs, ATCs, all those guys I think are super important. But I also think the doctors need to kind of chime in too because they're they're usually the primary. Like let's say uh, you have a case, uh, a player gets injured right off the bat. The first person they're going to speak to is going to be the doc right after they get imaging. ATC to the doc probably. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, And the messaging that, you know, and that's that's been a focus. And I've been – look, I've been somewhat impressed. I I will say it's not – there has been a receptiveness. Um, I guess I'm a bit lucky because I'm 
technically a consultant, so I'm not. I'm a, I'm an outside source, source yeah. which mm-hmm. is always you know it's like I always feel felt weird when I was giving presentations to New York sportsmen. I thought I feel like I'm white noise at the moment. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going go to Brazil and Australia, and they'd be like, "Oh, this is great." I'd be like, "You guys, you're right in front of me, and you." <laughs> I'm not taking it. I'm not taking but it. But that's not anyone's fault that's just how how it is right right well being well explain pain was definitely the most uh gifted book i would say i, I give to Whew, patients yeah and um it's still something that i actually try to pass on to even trainers that are working with some of my patients to um you know to try to get the message across and i think sometimes it does come across as noise uh, what do you see as a difference between like for instance you mentioned canada United States, UK, the receptivity to pain science. Is it, mm. is it across the board? Is there equal resistance? Uh, it's a good question um, because it, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, the Canadians still have a strong manual therapy, you know, and it's interesting because the, the people that come to the Explain Pain courses are sort of already halfway there. Self-selected, well, yeah. You know, I was just up <laughs> yeah. in Ottawa um, a few weeks ago and the, the, the uh, woman who's running the course, she said, look, it's almost like explain pain needs a sexier title, like just to attract <laughs> um, attract the people in that world because it's still up there and the system's a little bit different because um, people are given uh, a certain amount of money allocated to each profession. So they will go to multiple practitioners that are all mm. sort of, you know, it's still a passive, mm. it's, it's it's not that it's that much greater, you know, than the U.S., even though they've got a more socialized medicine structure. Um, in the U.S., I find that actually people are quite receptive to picking up the information. However, they might be a little more resistant to changing and doing it in their actual practice. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. You know, whereas I think in Canada or Australia, they're more likely to sort of take a little bit of a risk there. Implement it quicker. Um, yeah, and that's a generaliz- mass generalization. I'll acknowledge that, but it's just, you know, my, you yeah. know, so Luke's University of Anecdotal Evidence. Right, yeah, right, right. Well, I <laughs> think we all do it. I think we all do it. But, I, uh, you know, across the board clinically, I think delivering the message, I, I think myself included, you know, it, it's um, it's changed over the years, the delivery and kind of the timing of it could be, imp- you know, the timing and delivering this message in these courses, do they talk about strategies for implementing it? Not just the science behind it, but the implementation of giving this to passing this information on to whoever you're trying to. In terms of imparting it to therapists or both, therapists? Both, ther- both therapists and patients. I mean, first it starts with the therapist, obviously, but um, just dealing with actual patients. Okay. Yeah. No, great, great question. Um, it's definitely key because you can lose someone you know with very, one word right. very quickly mm-hmm. I've got it. shut yep. up bull, bullshit it's all my fucking pain you're telling me it's in my head um and you know it's like if you're you're in pain you're angry now how many times did you guys see the luke patients walking in the clinic they're so rude they're so mean but what what happens when you're in that edgy perturbed ramped up sympathetic nervous system state your your high cognitive processing is you know shut down a little bit, your ability to, to process and learn and, and not only um, 
bring in but retain new information. And I mean, mm. you never said that. And I'm like, well, I did. But <laughs> but you, you, you're talking to them at a time where their sympathetic so nervous system is so ramped up. Right. Um, right. And it was great because the other day I was down in um, with one of the teams and I had a, a player on the table and there was another therapist that had been working with him there. Uh-huh. And I was doing just some parasympathetic work and some diaphragm slow breathing. And right when he started to get relaxed, she's chimed in with the, this is why we need to do this. And I said, you couldn't have come at a more perfect time. She goes, I get it, Luke. I know, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> and it's because you, if, if he was in that painful state and it's like you know, the brain is that an amazing attorney, it, it, it creates a case against that poor little tendon. Mm. Um, you know, it's responsible for everything. Um, if you're trying to give them that information at that time, it's just not necessarily, it's not their fault. It's just not, well, the wiring is not going to get through. So timing is really key and repetition. Yes. Would you say this? Is, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because this is definitely Doesn't a challenge. Surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Please, that's all I do. Considering all these things, all the options. But I, I like. All right, I'm trying to figure out. Um, you know, there's all these movements for pain science, a movement towards pain science, movement towards exercise education. Should we approach a patient rather than assessing? Of course, we have to understand what's going on with them, listen to their story, listen to uh, why they're coming to see us. But should we do more to assess uh, their almost their capacity to receive what would be, in the end, help them the most? Because they might not be be ready for that instead of, um, all right, so this is, of course, getting get into movement and everything, but try to have like a more systemized way of saying, like, all right, how much how much information can I give this person and how much um, can I give them towards something like uh, neuroscience and cognitive restructuring, things like that, and and dictate the eval based on that instead of saying, like, well, they have an ACL tear um, and they're going to take four weeks to get here, six weeks. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, and, and look, that's obviously an individual sort of basis. But I, um, uh, what was interesting is that um, – when I went to, uh, I was with EP3 with Lorimer Mosley, Peter O'Sullivan and David Butler, you know, the wow. big three. In the, <laughs> That's nice. And, um, you know, I was sitting back talking to Lorimer as Peter O'Sullivan's assessing a patient. He goes, yeah, he's not talking about neuroscience much, is he? And he didn't need to because it wasn't necessarily meaningful or relevant to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, David Butler, um, you know, they've been, explain pain, there's been evidence supporting it for 20 years and more. Um, And even you look at the old um, models of the onion skin models of pain and, uh, you know, the beliefs that that, that there was a study, Loza came out in 1980. So this is now almost 40 years of this stuff's been around, but why is it not taking off? Um, So David Butler went and did a um, educational science degree um, and looked at developing a curriculum. So the questions you'll ask your patients, all right, do, do, does the learner really want to learn? The learner is the patient. Are they ready to change? What's their best method of learning? Do they like, you know, do they have access to multimedia, showing images? If you think about um, in, in neuroscience, what creates the pain neurotag? That's the, you know, the, the area of the brain or the neurons that light up when we have a pain experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the mass of it, so the number of neurons, and then also visual input. Um, has a lot of influence 
um, in the pain neurotag. That's why MRI imaging, just seeing an image right. can affect the outcome. Right. But if you can then, if they're a visual learner, and I'll ask them questions. I mean, you've probably heard me. Of course. <laughs> of course. I've heard. I've, How do you I like miss to it. learn best? Yeah. You know, <laughs> visual? Oh, oh yeah, very visual. Very. <laughs> can I show you a picture? I mean, no. Uh, Oh sure, you know. No, don't show me. No, I don't really want to learn. Just can you just touch me here and just make my pain go away? You know. But do they want to learn? And yeah. you know, uh, the other quote that always resonates with me is Henry Ford. He said, "If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse." Like, <laughs> so they didn't know what a car was. They don't, yeah. They're not necessarily seeing the PT as the physio or the health professional as the educator, although. Often in chronic pain, they've been around the circuit and they are at that point of readiness to change. But I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things you just have to obviously take it individually. But yeah. asking the questions first rather than talking at your patients, and I've learned that, I've been guilty of it. Um, oh, we all have, yeah. yeah. We you all know, have. <laughs> in the cause, I'll say, listen more, talk less. You know? mm -hmm. Very true. Very yeah. true. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How does that feel to you? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and how would you, um, because you've definitely done some in services um, to where we work and, and about this stuff. And I feel like I think most of the other PTs will grasp it and then they'll attempt to apply it. But I do think there are some who don't even, they kind of brush it off and block it. Like, do you feel that, you know, five, 10 years down the line, this is something that will continue to grow, continue to get more popular, and they'll just have to start that process all over again, like we did? Um, or is there other ways to, to kind of get them on board to this information? Um, yeah, and it's, it's just like dealing with a patient. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk in the, the courses on um, the, the different levels of misconception. Mm. You know, of, you know there, there's a single grain, and that might be someone that just needs to be told, you know, you, when, you, when you feel pain, you're not doing damage. And I had one lady with a shoulder, she just had like a – um, a labor repair and she was stuck at you know, 120 degrees and the next day she came back and she could lift at 180 it wasn't anything to do with me she goes well Luke the moment you told me that I wasn't hurting myself I could move my arm so that's a an example mm. of they just need a little bit of a little nugget to sort of get them oh, okay I can believe that then you have different levels where they've got multiple misconceptions right. um, all locked together. And, they, you know, they're self-directed learners. They need to learn their own way in their own time, like we all sort of do a little bit. Right? Mm -hmm. But you attack them a little di – I shouldn't say attack. That's a naughty word. <laughs> no, um, that's, it's, 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 that's right. It's, we it's uh, confront yeah. it. We, 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 <laughs> strategize. We take, on, strategize. We take on that challenge, right, as I right, right. say, right. Um, a little differently. You strategize a lot of that. Um, a little differently in terms of – what is their current belief system and how can you incorporate the conceptual change within their paradigm of thinking? You have to go into their paradigm of thinking, right? Well, how would you do that? Why would you do it? And I think, you know, clinic, uh, clinical reasoning is an art that, you know, we were sort of focusing on. I remember I almost filed my third year because you're not analyzing, you're not clinically reasoning. Like, oh, mm. it's really important. And if you can just in terms of the therapist, think, oh, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? And get them to sort of change. But by giving them positive reinforcement, not saying what you're doing is wrong. Because oftentimes, you know, as therapists, particularly when you're, you're a little younger, it'll tap into your insecurity. Well, you know, you're you're saying I'm wrong. You're right, right and what I'm wrong. What have I been doing for yeah. the last few years? Yeah, yeah. and it's it's hard thing to do. And, I, um, and 
but uh, but it's just a matter of not necessarily focusing on a fault or but it's uh, I, I even with patients you know i get drive me nuts you know and mm-hmm. it's like, oh you know my hips off and this is up and i'm like oh don't think of it as a fault think of it as a default you get you're just falling into default mm-hmm. oh, do i need to be up like this forever no you don't you just need to every now and then add and i'll say at the end of every course i'll say to the therapist right try this on one person or two people that's it that's don't perfect, try it yeah. on everybody yeah well, I said, good... because you try it on one or two set yourself a goal like a patient you know set right. yourself a goal and I'll go through on the Sunday afternoon, all right, what are your barriers? Who who gets this? All right, who doesn't get, you know, who doesn't believe, who's not going to practice on Monday? So close your eyes, you know, so that people start becoming a little bit honest. Right. Like, well, what's stopping you from actually doing it? Well, I've been doing it a certain way and, um, yeah. Well, it, it knocks out. I mean, we, we've had this conversation with certain <clears throat> training methodologies that people still use and think, why, you know, why aren't they getting – why aren't they changing? Well, they've been successful. Well, you know, they've been successful a certain yeah, way. And there's and... nothing wrong with that because they've got to do, they've got to do their, their style. Right, like, right, right, right. You know, right. we've had how many practitioners? Oh, Luke, you can do that because you've got an Australian accent and you're Luke. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. You know, the Luke show, you just right, go Luke and do show. it and, and they already think they're going to get better if you breathe on them. So uh, it's, you know, there's, there's an element of everyone has their own unique personality, right. their own delivery style and that, there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, and hats off to them. A lot of people have had amazing results and think, that bastard, they're like, oh, <laughs> how come everyone's following them? And I'm like, well, I realize that they've got something about them that's a gift that's, you know, how can they convince? How can they, they, they put on a good sale? And we need to see ourselves in, in yes, some ways we're yes. selling, we're selling a product, which is getting someone to basically trust themselves mm-hmm. and another human again. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You have to you have to be a better salesman, and Absolutely. and that involves being authentic. You know, I hear that mm. word a lot: the authenticity, oh, yeah. being authentic <laughs> to yourself. And you can't use someone else's words. So, the more ways and the more ways you can start to just you know add a few things. Like I said, well, be yourself. Just shave off ten percent, right, right. or add another ten percent. You know, yeah. that's a good way to just think. Just like uh, manicure your lawns a little bit. Just trim the trim the hedges. <laughs> so spot on, though. That um, you know, people use your own words because you do see the roboticness when someone's trying to deliver a message that they've read, and it doesn't. You know, patients could sense that lack of commitment mm. uh, in themselves. Yeah, no, I think I think in any in service or any you know if if therapists are are doing courses as role play and you know they'll they'll say well it's all right who wants to be the patient who wants to be the therapist and then they'll say well what what it is it's in and I said no 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 I don't believe you and you know I know how to be a patient <laughs> but it's keep going and do it in an environment that's safe. Right. Well, you don't have a real patient, and that's when you know that's when the the magic can happen, right? <laughs> Rep, do the reps, yeah, do it over and over again. Yes, sir. And I and I found that like implementing this this information, I'll, I'll have a patient where they'll be giving um, most of the information they're giving me is is a lot of misconceptions and, right. and beliefs that they've been given. And so I, I'll have to take several sessions to finally start to find my opportunity. And they would say something or ask my opinion on something in regards to, well, what do you think in terms of, and then I'll be able to 
try to implement all right well that that's probably not what's happening here because if we find this versus this um like i had a patient for their low back and they um every time they would go scheme they were convinced that their hip would go out and their si joint would be go out as well when they turned to the left because that was where they're getting their pain and then i would ask them to do that movement and I'm, I'm trying to describe to the person is that, and I wouldn't be able to reproduce it right then and there. It would just be while they were skiing. And so we wouldn't be able to do it in the clinic, but then when they go out and ski, I'd be like, what would be different? Do you do it every time it happens? No, it's only every once in a while. And I was like, the likelihood of actually your hip coming out is very slim versus, um, you know, it could just be your nervous system kind of not wanting to fully go in that direction for whatever reason it may be, but we'll start to expose to that direction mm. with a controlled environment. And they, sure. you can kind of see them, something clicks in their head saying like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. Let's try it and see what happens. And sure enough, like they'll have less and less of these um, uh, instances of a flare up. And they're like, maybe my hip isn't going out. Maybe my SI joint mm -hmm. isn't going out. So stuff like that, it's just like this constant back and forth in a good way where you finally, like you said, you something is kind of changing up there that they're they're thinking a little differently about yeah. it. Yeah, and that's all it is because otherwise, and I've run into this where you can challenge them too much and you lose the connection then. Right, yeah. Yes. So you gotta you got to have that, obviously, you, you know, that report. I think both of you do an amazing job of that. Um, Thank you. Thank a good well, teacher. Well, exactly. Hearing a lot of stories. My last, what is it, my 16 oh my weeks God. student? Yeah, 16 poor weeks. Lee. I felt poor bad. No, it was the best. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, it was... I was thinking about it last night, so I had to cut you no, off. No, man. It, it, was, it was very exciting for me because I was, it was the last year of my school and longest affiliation that we all had like 16 weeks yeah, yeah. and you know i knew i was getting into because i was told by many people um how good you were and how good new york sportsman was my first interaction was steve horning because he was a clinical director yeah. and i met him and he was he was super nice and that i met you you do you mind if i disclose say, yeah, okay. say whatever. so the first day i met you you I, I sat in the columbus circle and i was in the the waiting area, and all I can hear is your voice speaking Italian to another patient. <laughs> and you were in that room that, like, you know, the they, there was no ceiling to it. It was oh, just like yeah, the glass the thing. Glass, yeah. And all I hear was like laughing and like good times. And then I see you come out, and you were hunched over, and you walked over to the desk because you just had hernia surgery. For <laughs> oh, that's right. And so uh, the person at the front desk, I can't remember who they were at the time, but they were like pointing to me and then to you, and that's when I went over and introduced myself. And you were like super excited, and and I think you told me that like, could you go get a heat pack? I'm I'm just trying to, I'm for my patient. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I bring it back in, and that's when the patient uh, was interacting with me. They were asking if I, uh, <laughs> one of the first questions the patient said was, um, where are you from? And what he meant to say is like, are, are you know, what's your ethnicity? But I was like, oh, I'm from Boston. He was <laughs> like, oh, yeah. How do, how do, what language do they speak in Boston? <laughs> and I was trying, I was like, oh, I get it. You, I'm half Greek, half. Irish, but anyways, it was it was super fun. I I think I learned an incredible amount. Saw so many patients with uh, post surgical uh, diagnoses, and then uh, just all these various persistent pain patients were really interesting. Um, and I have yet to see that kind of um, the volume of those kind of patients again. And I learned a great deal. It was it was a good experience. And watching you manage them was very interesting. So. Yeah, we had we had shared a couple of patients. I, I'll um, I mean, obviously without disclosing names, but there mm -hmm. were a couple of a handful of patients that I really uh, 
had no direction on. And I said, you know, Luke, I'm going to need some help. And watching you manage them and showing, you know, explaining, doing exactly as you just said, you know, figuring out their learning style, figuring out what was meaningful to them, figuring out, figuring out them and then creating a very simple plan based on their needs, you know, and it was like, wow, why didn't I, we used to have an analogy where that Eric, you're running into the wall. <laughs> you know, I was I was combative with a particular patient, and you know, he or she was coming back at me, and he saw that he was like, you know, you're running into the wall. You could run around it. You could, you know, try something different, Eric. It's not, obviously not working. So, you know, I'm very thankful for those experiences because mm. now, you know, at the these patients still arrive, and um, you know, it's different tools where it's. You can see the writing on the wall a little easier um, yeah. with experience, but I really would, uh, you know, those experiences with you and what you've taught us on on pain science then and creating our own stories were instrumental in what we're doing, what I'm doing now, what Lee's doing. Now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks, guys. It's, yeah. it's, it makes <laughs> it's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. No, but look, I, I, and I'm the same. I still run into the brick wall <laughs> multiple times, not just with patients, but with you know, and uh, you know, I had a guy yesterday and. and you know, the dialogue in my head's like, Luke, just give up. Luke, why are you doing this? 20 years <laughs> like, just fucking, just, this guy's not going to get it. You know, Matthew, we've had the, all this stuff, and I got him to read the protector man. He goes, yeah, it's all the stuff I've been talking about. Yeah, for on and off for 10 years. I'm like, you're never going to get And then suddenly uh, I just said to him, Matthew, who was your favorite teacher? Who was your favorite teacher at school? I said, where'd you go to high school? You know, because he remembered his first back pain was 14, and he'd gone to, gone to school in the Bronx, and he said, oh, I went to then the United Nations. And I said, oh, who was your favorite teacher? And he immediately, he said, Jacques, I can't remember his name, but a French guy he goes, he was awesome. He was amazing. He was white. He was a jazz singer. He was a musician. He was just stylish. Mm. And he started to, in this whole affect change. Uh, Tell me mm. more. I said, and he plays the clarinet. He's a bit of a, you know, he's, he's, he's hardworking, you know, type A, stress, high-powered attorney, New York City, kids, you know, two different kids. And anyway, and he, his whole affect change. I thought, here we go. We're just going to talk jazz. I said, we'll do it. I said, now breathe. Now, now make a clarinet sound. Go. And he wouldn't do it. I said, come on, just do it. Just like. He goes, oh, that's. I said, you know, I play the mouth trumpet. I'm like. And I just to do it. Come on, Matthew. I said, come on, just channel your inner. Like, what would he do? You know, what would he do? How would he perform? Yeah. You know, because you then. And one of my patients said, he goes, it's like you're hijacking my brain. And that's why he sort of said, well, you know, you can't write a book on this because you can't hijack you, you, in that moment. And that's when, you know, when I've, the dialogue in my brain has gone to the point where I've told myself I'm going to give up, right? I'm not getting up at, you know, why are you still getting up at 6.30 in the morning? Why are you still going to this person's house? You're sort of a slave. They're not going to get it. <laughs> you're not practicing what you're so preaching. You're just like, why? Are you? And at that point, well, I'm like, right, just, just take a breath talk music, talk something that yeah. they find what they love that's mm -hmm. completely unrelated to anything to do with their ACL um, yeah. right. or whatever their shoulder with, right, or their right. hip or get them out and, and, and get them talking and, and hear their words. And, you know, that's the, again, going back to the listening, the Jeffrey Maitland would say, if you listen to the patient, they'll tell you what's wrong. If you really listen to them, they'll tell you how to get them better. Mm -hmm. So and then, but he still wouldn't make the noise. And I said, and I said, Matthew, out of curiosity, I said, why wouldn't you just like make it? I said, it's just you and me. There's no one else here. Why wouldn't you just make a, a trumpet sound? You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
He goes, keep curious, stay curious. <laughs> and then, but he, he kind of got what I said. I said, it's all right. You don't have to. And then I left. And as soon as I walked out the door, he sort of makes the sound. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's. He goes, that's oh, a... I felt so good after that treatment. You know, you released my psoas. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. No. It was nothing to do with it, right? Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the skill, though. Like, that's like, even though you were like kind of, you know, having that self-talk and almost not wanting to continue on, you still got to the point where I bet you took all these past experiences and you just like, I just got to get this person to just find one thing to focus on other than their pain. And that, that's yeah. huge. And that, you got to move out of your comfort zone for that. And I'm, I'm thankful that I've had, I guess, a few practices at it. So... Mm-hmm. But it's just, um, I think that's really important. And, and to understand that I go through exactly the same things, like <laughs> the Friday, I mean, you've seen me. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, and you just hit it right on the head. Like, why am I, you know, I'm sitting here in this podcast, we talk about pain science. And then, you know, I get into the room and my hands do what they have been doing for a while. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, I'm going into default mode. You know, I got to get out of the default. What am I, you know, and then, but then that that session, I just give that person that, 15% of the grain they needed and it had nothing to do with my hands it was more of self-actualization on the patient's part yeah um, which is what it is and even in those moments you know when the patient comes in late I don't know you've spoken about that before and you know I had it today and I had three people oh damn I've got to get out I've got to you know I forgot obviously not that I forgot that I was here coming here but you know this the patient had been scheduled I had to move him up mm. and so all of the you know the the tornado sort of happens right. a little bit. Right. Right. And then one patient who I've just left and I just had her doing, you know, on a foam roller up his arm leg, I said, right, focus on these three things, repeat it over and over again. <laughs> she walked out, she goes, my right arm is so much looser than ever before. And I'm like, That's what two hours you've you know, been doing. And, and had I probably stayed with her that half an hour one-on-one and hadn't given her that time, mm. you know, maybe she wouldn't have had such a good result. And I got her to write down things. I said, put pen to paper. It's because she started to open up about – you know, she's chronic pain about trauma. And I said, write it down, put pen to paper, you know, which gave me the opportunity to then go and work with someone else. But those moments where you, you give them a little bit and let them, Figure let them cook, let them do their own thing. And that's, mm. I think, one of the greatest learning experiences that I've had is like when stuff happens like that, it, it's not the end of the world if three people show up at once, just every now and then. As long as you obviously get the one-on-one time, right. but in the event of, you got to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely taught us that. I mean, the multiple, <laughs> yeah. multiple the, scenarios. The WTF moment. You have the <sighs> the WTF moment. You just put a G in front of it. GWTF. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. Just roll. I mean, we've had a uh, multiple, <laughs> multiple little disasters, and now when things, you condition though. Oh yeah, it's like I, nothing I, now. I, yeah, now it's like all right. Yeah, I got two people here. What are we gonna do? <laughs> hey, could you give me like twenty minutes? You know, and just talking it out. You know, th- those experiences were critical. And seeing you, um, seeing you in the fire, and you know, not necessarily extinguishing the fire, but containing each fire. Well, yeah, and allowing it to. You got to have an element of trust. You know, even today, one of the guys was a NFL player from the Chicago Bears, and then the next patient was a you know high powered 
sort of individual. I didn't know who he was, of course, but um, you know, his assistants like oh, you can't. He, he's got to be starting on time. Like as I said, I gave him a heads up. I'm learning over the years to at least give people a heads up that I'm 15, 20 minutes late. Good. She goes, no, you need to start him on time because he's very important and blah blah blah. <laughs> now I'm like, all right, well, what am I going to do? I've got the NFL guy here. I mean, it's not in season, so I said. You in a rush. I just had to direct them a little bit. Now it turned out that the guy happened to be from Chicago and a huge Chicago Bears oh, fan. Perfect. So, um, <laughs> great. So any, <laughs> any pissed offness that he's got about, you know, being waiting a few minutes, he's got, you know, a chance to chat to his guy. And th- those sort of things happen more often than not, um, if you just allow them to. I mean, oh, yeah. so. Very cool. Very mm. I miss I miss uh, having this guy a couple of tables away. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and listening like, wow, that was cool. How do you get out of that? Whoa, that was... it's true. He's dancing with a patient. All right, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know that whirlwind that the whirlwind of treatment because uh, you know Lucas treated me for various uh, injuries, but I remember going for the my half marathon, my knee issue, and I remember you working on X, Y, and Z, and it was my chest and my knee, and before you know it, I'm on the Pilates machine, and I'm I'm humming on the Pilates machine, <laughs> and like, you leave, I walk out, I'm like, what the, what the, what, what just happened? But, wow, my knee feels better. <laughs> this is why Luke is Luke, you know, and yeah. I text him, hey, I'm feeling better, but I, it's a whirlwind, and I think um, some patients do come in, I think, you know, and I don't know exactly what happened, because they don't, you know, if I get a good treatment session, they're immersed, right? I mean, yeah. there's a level of immersion that... You're engaged. Yes. You're fully present at that moment. I think that's that's key, you know. And, a, I mean, this is one thing I remember distinctly from when I was a student was that, you know, even back then, would you agree it was, I guess, 2009, 2010, you weren't fully immersed in the, the pain science stuff? Would no, I wasn't. I was, um, you know, I, I started, I mean, I was always interested in it and I just... You know, because of, I mean, it's selfish too. Because I'd get bored if I just practiced conventionally. You know, I just right. I needed yes. to I needed to stimulate myself, and that's why I loved, and I'm grateful for like having students and and people that would come and and give me energy. Yes. You know, and people, oh, you you're working so hard and you're helping this. Well, actually, it's helping me. You know, mm, right. um, because I, it, it's really valuable. It keeps me on my toes. It it forces me to to stay current. And and well, I wasn't in the pain zones. I don't know what. Where you're going, but uh, no, it was meaning like you, but you had all these, you had these same techniques that you would be looking for these things that you know, get to know the person, see how they learn, um, try to get them into this different state to be more open to the treatment and/or distract their nervous system. But it wasn't like you know, the the systemized, uh, their um, you know, you're trying to drive the parasympathetic activity to decrease the neurotag. It, mm. it didn't seem to be like well, that. Well, because so I didn't, I didn't understand the the science at the time, and that's one of the things. Because I, you know, mm. I, you, you want to think, well, all right, I know it works, but am I just faking it? Am I a big fraud here? You know, mm. and that's when I'm like, well, my logical brain mm. has to still understand the neuroscience of. Right of what I'm actually doing so that my, the bullshit factor is sort of kept to a a little bit of a minimum, but that, that, that part of that is the art and the story. It's okay to, you know, put something out there. Just the the goal is it doesn't matter if what you're saying, I mean, it does matter to a degree if it's right or wrong, but it's, but it's, is it sufficient to create a change in the other person? Right. And then it's up to them. So I'm not 
suggesting people go out and just why no 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 it's it's a relevant story but it's there's a little bit of storytelling that's you know and Lorimer Mosley's a a great storyteller but Mm -hmm. he's also someone that's spent absolutely you know and devoted his entire life incidentally they're starting the the pain revolution today if everyone pain revolution I took part in the first one in Australia it's basically a ride around Australia this time they're in Tasmania and they're Mm. um Riding during the day, so we'd ride like sixty to eighty miles a day, and then uh, speak to rural communities, educating on chronic pain in light of the opioid crisis. Wow. That's great. So that's Very starting, cool. I believe, the end of this week. The wow. pain revolution. So check that out. That's Were so you? Cool. Um, I think you rode in that a few years back. I did. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. in the first one from Melbourne to Adelaide. Wow. <laughs> of course, how- untrained. I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> that's how you roll. Marathons off a plane, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you well. <laughs> Breathing, Lee. Breathing. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> posture and hydration. Posture and hydration. That was being gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's rain, keeping it light. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but I, I recall starting at New York Sports Med, and he already had um, a stockpile of uh, explained pain. We had it stocked down at. Well, the yeah, because uh, David and um, David Butler and Julietti's wife had just been teaching in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and they said, "Luke, we've got all these un, you know, pe- books that we haven't, you know, used." You know, are you interested? You know, and I said, "Sure, I'll I'll buy them all. I'll buy a hundred books." Right. You know, that stage, I'm thinking, all right, I've got a business, so we need to like <laughs> write it off. <laughs> write it off as a business <laughs> expense, and I'm helping out them, and I sure, and and because uh, I wanted to just give that book to patients, and I, I thought, remember. you know what, even if, and I said, all right, how much is it, Luke? Right, that's ten patient visits. All right, so. Mm. Even if I don't sell these and I give half of them away, I'm just I'm willing to do that because I believe I've always believed strongly in at least just putting it out there. And you know, I think you know. So yeah, we had a stockpile of all their stuff that I hadn't even seen or read before myself. Like no, I pass it along. And tools. Well, we <laughs> have students. I recall in the last. I mean, the last ten years, I guess. Students, other therapists, personal trainers. It's a, a gifted book, you know. It's a book that I direct them to, or or Noi in general. Check out this organization, and you know the receptivity. How, how's supercharged or recharged? Do you rec- well? I supercharged is a, a tricky book. Um, you know, a lot of therapists will say it's you know it's kind of pricey, but it's also it's incredibly deep. It's not gotcha. meant. The original explained pain was meant for the um, uh, patient, patient, really. Gotcha. Supercharged is definitely more. Geared, well, it is geared toward the clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes into great detail. I've read the thing, you know, I read it every time I'm going to teach a course and I still it's still new to me sometimes, but it's very, very um, involved gotcha. and, and goes into the, the neuroscience and the biology of pain, which is really interesting. And mm-hmm. One thing that's fascinated me over the last, you know, few years or five years, however long I've been doing it, is the role of the immune system in pain and mm-hmm. the biological changes. It's not that pain is in your head, the different, um, you know, it's an immune response, the defensive yes. response that you've got these immune cells attached to every neural cell. And that's mm. when you can start to explain it better to your athletes. They'll be like, but I don't know what I did. You know, why am I in pain? Well, oh, yeah, you had a cold. One guy that had this chronic knee tendonitis, he'd had a whole big sinus infection on one side of his body. It was throwing his vestibular system off. And I said, well, look, I said, you've got a ramped up immune system. You're going to feel a little bit more pain when you're in that state. So it's a way that you can tie in that patients understand. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I I do encourage 
every therapist to really start to look at and understand the role of the immune system in pain because it's not yeah. something that is naturally you're going to think about. No. Think about like uh, when you get a when you get a flu, you get very achy. Like sure. my, my back gets achy when I get a flu. So yeah, and you get these resident immune cells. It's like a it's like a vaccination. Now people say oh, I get sick from the flu shot. Well, you don't get sick from the flu shot. It's a dead virus. But what you're doing is you're activating um, what's called an associated molecular pattern, an mm. AMP, the yeah. AMP gam. Mm. So it it detects a pathogen, um, and that then is going to uh, send messages obviously through the, the spinal cord up to the brain, you know, danger, let's give a response. You might get a fever, okay? Mm -hmm. But that's the response. What people think, well, I've got a fever, therefore I'm sick. Well, you've got a fever, therefore you've, your, your immune system realizes that there's some potential danger and it's giving what response that it believes to be appropriate at that time. And mm -hmm. fever is essentially just your body saying we yeah. need more cells. Right. Yeah, we need more cells and we need to, you know, Fight. heat up a little bit to right. get rid of this tissue. And then mm -hmm. and then my, I remember my girlfriend, she'd be like, oh, hot and cold, you know. She goes, now I'm getting hot and cold. I said, great. I said, now that, <laughs> now that it knows that your body, your body, so your hypothalamus is so smart, it knows when to cool down so as not to kill your other tissues. I said, it's like a self-regulating thermo thermostat. I said, that's awesome. It's amazing. But I need the medication. I'm like, well. well that, but blunts it. that blunts it. But, but if people understand that that's, you know, the, the pain is a very normal response. It's it like, um, you know, it's, it's important. And I think um, that's something that I've tried to get across and, and understand better myself too. Do you know, uh, you ever heard of Greg Lehman? Yes, Lehman? I have. Yep. He was in Canada actually just before I was in in Ottawa. Oh, um, cool! Yeah, he. I took his course recently. The uh, regular styling uh, yeah. biomechanics and with pain yeah. science. It was fantastic. But he talks about this too. He's like, you know, one of the things that you educate your patient about shouldn't be necessarily you're going to be pain free for the rest of your life. It's just more about what pain is and to expect it more, or sorry, to expect it when you are doing something active and or just getting information from your body. And just managing it better. Mm. So, I mean, that just gives a little bit more accurate, like, versus uh, you're never going to have pain again ever. You just might have levels of it that you can understand it better and not be as attached to it and or think of it as something that's going to be more dangerous um, in the long term. Yeah. Have you um, encountered some kind of little... A little political tangent here, but you know, in um, in creating uh -oh. political, no, not that political, not that political, but political in the sense is, you know, you have a patient, and often you're the third, you might be the second or third person this this patient sees, and your referring physician gave them X, you know, well, I, I saw my doctor, definitely have a herniation on L four L five, it's hitting a nerve, that's why I'm here, you know, and in dancing. And dancing with pain science, you know, how for the public, because I'm sure they, they will encounter this as well, you know, how do you deliver that message without totally bad, you know, and I... You don't you don't have to bag the doctor because right, right. he's absolutely right. If right. they do have a herniated disc at right, L4 right. and 5 and it might be, I said, but what, I said, did you have that herniated disc um, before the scan and before you had pain and you might have it after you have pain, but what you're dealing with is you're getting an inflammatory response. And you can have inflammation in the absence of damage. Basically, when you get as activating these molecular patterns um, from uh, a potential threat or danger, you're 
actually getting cytokine or the interleukins, the inflammatory um, chemicals right. that are being released, sending more messages, opening up ion channels in your receptors that are essentially uh, hypersensitizing your nervous system um, and creating more chemicals, real inflammation, real inflammation based on a perceived need to protect doesn't mean you've damaged that tissue. And, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, look, when you had that MRI, you probably had a lot of inflammation. If you reduce your inflammation, you're still going to have that herniated disc, but it, without inflammation, it's not causing any threat. Any There's signal. no pressure on the nerve. There's no signaling there. Reduce your inflammation. Think about what you're eating. Think about your gut. Think about your sleeping. Think about not hanging, not getting stressed all the time or not yelling and not... Right. You know, interacting, do the things you love to do. Anything that is sort of immune buffering or anti-inflammatory behaviors. Right. right. Go so to a bit well of nature, said. you know. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's and, spot on, man. But, but <laughs> it's, hard for, it's hard for someone to sort of get that. But that's why I think if you can somehow transmit that message, eventually they, you know, they get it. They feel it in their bodies, you know, linking the different things. People can put their own dots together. But if you present it to them like, all right, we know we're a unified being before we're a body part. And mm-hmm. you know, I said, how are you giving that little hernia disc? I said, but you've also got many, many other discs all up and down your spine. <laughs> what are they doing? And you go, your, your body's amazing. It adapts. Oh, well, I can't run because I've got a herniated disc. I said, well, that's, is that accurate? I said, do you know how many people have run without herniated discs? <laughs> yeah. Well, statistically, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying you, but, you know, I'm just saying it. So let's. I said, my job is to act as your body's defense attorney. I said, your brain has you know, <laughs> oh, created a case against that. And I, you know, I said, but I want to make sure you're okay. I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to, I need evidence too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to tell you to do that, you know, but I do want to at least make sure what you're saying is accurate. Well, I never have pain. Well, have you got pain? Uh, never without pain. Well, have you got pain now? Well, not right now. So is it really <laughs> never? <laughs> You know, That's and I can come across, but I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just like, I, I, I have, I'm, I'm weird about absolutes, you know. So let's, let's, let's give truth and accuracy as best we can. Well, that's an interesting thing too about musculoskeletal injuries. It's like this, um, uh, the, de- the definition of words have changed. Like we, we're big fans uh, of UFC, Joe Rogan, things like that. And what, th- what keeps rattling around in my head is uh, there was a UFC fighter in the last year or so his name is tony ferguson he tore his lcl mm-hmm. and anytime uh joe rogan would get on the microphone either through his podcast or uh, on when he was commentating he would always say the same thing it was a catastrophic knee injury it was a catastrophic knee injury over and over again and so like you know the the those words it's not catastrophic so let's define catastrophe for a second yeah. like if someone is having tornado a heart attack that might be a a catastrophe like they have to have an intervention or they might die or you know something like that that could be a more accurate definition now not to say an lcl tear in a ufc fighter is not serious yes he has to have an intervention if he wants to continue fighting but it's i don't know things like that like you know the the herniated disc is like that's the uh, I've definitely had patients who said like what do you do you do you just like lie down for a month and not do anything i'm just that's probably the worst thing <laughs> you could do. It's because of all the associations. Now, 
for someone when they think about it, well, it's a catastrophe that I might not be able to fight, and this is what I'd love. And now, I mean, so that to that person, it is meaningful. So I don't, right. I understand that words, and it's particularly for a, a commentator or in the media, it's like you know, devastating blow. You know, just right. mm. yes, but when you settle it down, and I, you know, our little soccer player friend, uh, right. Right. he goes, well, at the end of the day, it's just my knee. Like I'm not dying here. Mm. Like, and it, this is a a guy that's. Uh, you know, getting ready, he's missed out on a couple of World Cups and at that level. But it's taken him a long time to sort of say, well, you've got to emotionally process um, that fear, you know, false evidence appearing real, like uh, immediately afterward. And then if you can go through that emotional processing to the point where you sort of start to put the the level of threat in in some relative terms that Mm. is not catastrophizing or devastating. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how people – Hop on that. It's like, well, I, I think the a lot of articles we've gone over recently, like in the New York Times, talking about medical uh, students now getting a little schooling on the choice of words uh, affecting outcomes. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, since you know, back in the NYSM days, you teaching the the power of words, and you know, we could kind of determine where a treatment goes just based on our language as a physical therapist. But it's great to see that. Some of the younger doctors that are getting trained are being mindful on certain diagnoses. Um, you know, as a you know, protruding. What if instead of a herniation, it's just wear and tear or aging, age-related yeah, someone changes? Someone said actually because I do this in the courses. I'm a bit sneaky. I try and get new nuggets every course. I say, well, what, who can think of a word for a chocolate? And I'll throw them a chocolate. You know. Right. <laughs> so I said, what's another one uh, for wear and tear? Because it was. Um, one of the patients called me a spin doctor. He goes, everything I say, you spin it around. I get it from my dad. He said, turn your scar into a star. Like, you spin it around. So, so one person said, wear and repair. I thought, well, that's a good one. I like that. Because if it's te- your, your body's wired to repair, isn't it? So yes. think of it as every time you think of wear and tear, think of wear and repair. Mm-hmm. Wear and repair. That is, that's fine. You know, degenerative dis- d- disease, age-related changes. Like right. you can... Well, Greg Lehman talked about this Pain is a defender, too. not an offender. There you go. But you're saying like, yeah, what's the difference between getting your, uh, you know, your gray hair on the outside and your skin changes? Do you have like diseased face skin change, you know, d- syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that's what you look like when you get older. Like your skin changes, your you have gray hair, and so does your cartilage, and so does everything else. Now it's just mitigating those things, of course. You know, when you want to keep yourself healthy, keep yourself strong, and moving. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's, that's a huge thing because those words have, uh, we know this now, they have a big effect on the brain and they activate certain areas of the brain that kind of stimulate what would be a, a threat to the system. If you start to say a lot of uh, negative words and words that holds some other thing like catastrophe or whatever, maybe the associations with those words, as you just mentioned, um, man, I mean, trying to avoid them or just relabeling. But the patients, well, uh, yeah. Yeah, and also going back to your point before, too, Lee, when, you know, it's gone out. Well, what does that mean, going out? Mm. Has it gone out to have a party? Has it yeah, gone yeah, out yeah, to, yeah. you know, is it, what does it mean to you? Get, asking follow-up questions that get a, a clarification. And you'll start to see different words come out. And they're the words then you can latch on to. So, you know, so you're sort of dissociating that or you're expanding their vocabulary a little bit by how they think and perceive so not not thinking about going out uh, well may, does it feel like it's going out or does it feel like it's about to sort of it feels a little unstable or you can't trust it well i can't trust it so you start to that that's another way 
sort of that I'll try and get. No, it's a good with the words cool. definitions. Because well, just... my definition of that might be different to your definition of that. I'm from a different country. I right. speak differently. Right, right. <laughs> That's <laughs> a story. I could, yeah, well, I'm almost 50% US Australian now. I'm. So, yeah, oh, you've been here long. What, how long? Uh, Twenty. I was twenty-three when I moved oh, here. Yeah, yeah. You were here. Is it true? Nineteen ninety-nine, where you start treating here, or that's when you started treating? In in New York, I started treating in ninety-nine. Well, in Rockaway wow. Park. So that's twenty yeah. years. Yeah, ninety-six. I graduated. Ninety-seven. I started treating in Australia, and then ninety-eight. I was in my Indiana skilled care facilities and wow. <laughs> working. I going. believe what you're doing is hurting my rump. <laughs> <laughs> I believe what you did. I would oh, love to culture shock, man. To uh, be oh, yeah. oh my god, yeah. I remember one guy was in Indiana. He goes, judging by your accent, you're not from around here. You must be from either. Kentucky or Tennessee. <laughs> I said, actually, a, a little bit further south. He said, ah, Mississippi. That's a true story. Like, wow. that's the definition of their world and nothing against. No, no, it's, it's, um, it's very interesting. It's very small. But no, oh, that's okay. Wild. Cool. Oh, my God. I was, I always think of this too um, when we go to Henzo's. I would, I would love to introduce oh, John Danaher. To Luke Bongiorno. You guys would make, uh, you guys probably would not <laughs> stop talking. He is, so, um, he's, he's from a, New Zealand. I know that's not Australia, but, yeah, but that's all right. You know, that, uh, you guys are very close in the, um, in that world. And, um, he's a, a, a philosopher by trade. He, he uh, used to teach at Columbia. Right. This is all public knowledge. I mean, he, he's, yeah. he's very pop. He's like, you know, he's one of the head instructor. He is the head instructor at Henzo's, but, um, he now has kind of a group of, students under him who are being wildly successful in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so he's getting a lot of notoriety. And uh, anyway, so he's got a lot of orthopedic stuff, which he's been public about. And I would absolutely love for him to see you, but I, I'm sure he has his own group of people. But um, <laughs> you guys would definitely... He's, <laughs> he's a philosopher up. in every way. And, you know, yeah. his direction, you know, he he's a very good teacher. He's very he clear, concise, but is able to sneak in a joke or two. Yeah, in between and but um, it'll be attention. a good meet. We got to connect them. Oh my god! Yeah. I don't know how, but I don't. I mean, that would be like I don't. I don't know. It'll I mean. be a good connection. <laughs> they, they, but uh, let's talk about getting over. So, oh, with explain with pain science and the what do you see as some challenges for uh, for a business owner at this time to kind of implement? You know, how do you how do you navigate this uh, new? It's new and old, right? We it's not new to us, but how do we bring? You know, what are some of the risks involved as a as a sole practitioner or a sole business owner? What do you see as some challenges, and how do you navigate? How would you navigate it as a? In terms of if you've got staff working for staff you, staff working, or your interface with some of your referral sources, whether right. that's doctors, trainers. I mean, well, I think I think doctors are wising up to it as well. If you can really connect to your patients, they'll go back and thank their doctor. Um, and and take the, the the patient off the doctor's hands, like Correct. you know, Luke, you Correct. can deal with them. Like they're just they're all anxious about that. So that the doctor will put the fear of God into them, and I'm, right. and my job is to to help to calm them down. So um, I think you know, as far as that goes, by doing what's best for the patient, you're doing that. that you're confronting mitigating any risk of that. You're not disagreeing with the doctor. You just right putting it in context. Well, he's sent you here because we have a little bit of time to go through this. He's presented something. We've got the time. I really want you to understand it. And I do. I really want, just like when I'm teaching, because I want you to 
there's no point in just me having the knowledge and not being effective in transmitting it. It's a waste of time and money. I don't want you to come here, spend your time, spend your money on things that aren't effective. So um, I think the challenge as a business owner, certainly for me when you know we had the three clinics, was how do I create a level of standard of care amongst all the therapists? And I would... Mm-hmm. I had a lot of pushback, um, right. as you know. Right, right. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and I'd be like, well, I don't want to force them because, you know, volunteers only, my daddy said. It's like you can't, you can't force someone how to think or particularly these young um, and old, like, <laughs> entrepreneurial therapists or they want it, they need to learn. They, they're going through their own journey of right. self-discovery. And who am I to sort of, you know, impede their journey to... <laughs> To, to their own learning. But, uh, you know, it was Daniel O'Grady, who I love, um, right. who was with us for a long time. He he said to me, Luke, you should just mandate, mandate. That That's how they should practice. And I, at the time I thought, no, I can't do that. But there, there, there isn't a, a lot of places have rules. <clears throat> I'm not necessarily a rules guy, but um, there are certain, I guess, standards that you could say, right, in every patient, and we tried. We had the we oh. had the what, what do we call passport? It? The passport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> I remember when you went like that. that. <laughs> I remember the passport. Oh, that was my. That was like yes, we've got it. We've got it. We found the way. You know, your brain sort of thinks yes. This is the next. You know, the next cure for cancer. It was like the patient passport. This is the one. And you know, and again, we then we studied it, and then oh no, they're not they're not going to want to write things down. I said, well, if they don't want to, just the. That's how the putting pen to paper is really critical in processing, a processing of, of neural processing. I said, it's not negotiable. And sometimes it, it's okay to say that for the, mm. for the patient. It's not negotiable. Right. You know, I remember when I was learning meditation that I said, oh, I can't do it. I don't have time. He goes, just tell yourself, not negotiable. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because sometimes in order to change, we do need to sometimes have some sort of boundary put there or some sort of consequence. Um, and ultimately, you know, obviously you don't realize it at the time, but when you look back, you think, oh, thank God, you know, they said that. Otherwise you could go for years. And oh, the structure, you know, like uh, we've talked about flexible structure. You know, you have a structure in, <laughs> a structure in mind uh, without cutting, you know, I don't, I don't ever felt like uh, we lost our autonomy in any way. You know, mm. I think... Oh, that, yeah. that that structure, you know, I knew where it was coming from. It was a positive place. And I think for the listeners out there, putting your, that's a critical piece of information that putting, if you put your patient first, you shouldn't have to worry about the other noise. I mean, if they, if you do well by them, they'll, they'll be your messenger to the doctor, to the general yeah. public. Yeah. And you can do it in a way that's not putting anyone else down, you know, right. you Oh, you've been to a great surgeon. Well, I went to the best surgeon and he told me this was the worst case he'd ever seen. And he, mm-hmm. he brought people in. I said, wow. I said, and he's amazing too. So for you to be the worst, your body must be such an incredible healer. For you to even be here right now, it's incredible. It's made such adaptations. I reckon you can adapt even more. And I reckon we can get your brain to change. The fact that you've dealt wow, all the things that you've dealt with. And what was other, the other interesting thing about watching Peter O'Sullivan too is before he, he, when he would listen to the patient, he did say to them, look, I'm sorry you've had to deal with all that. I'm really, really sorry that you've been to a lot of practitioners and you've been given that information. Having that apology is really key, I, I, I feel. Um, and you don't have to say sorry to all your patients, but but what it does is it, it 
you'll let let your guard down and you've invited them to then open up. Oh wow, he actually there's a compassion there. There's a there's a there's a care. There's an authenticity there. Yeah. You're validating Yeah, them and too, you're val- yeah. you're validating. It's like a, my, my sister-in-law, she's a myotherapist in Australia. She goes, "Yeah, it's like the kids, you need validation. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, you've rubbed it. Okay, then you can start. Well, you're okay. Then you de threatening. But it's got to be sort of in that order. Mm-hmm. If you're just sort of throwing out this without acknowledging first that, you know what? You have had a bit of a raw end of the deal here. And and as a community, as health professionals, we are a, a community. We have sort of let you down a little bit. Um, and it's important to acknowledge that and be part of it and own it. Even if it's not you, it doesn't matter if you're, well, the, he was wrong and I'm right. No, it's just we're part of a community. So I'll, as part of that, I'm sorry, you know. Right. I've used it a couple of times when you, after you did the, um, the last in-service and you talked about how Peter Sullivan did that. Mm. And it's been very helpful. Because people kind of just kind of stop in their tracks, They're like, "Well, that's not what I was expecting you to say," mm. and so they 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 start to li- they seem to listen a little bit more. That, sure. that was my experience. Yeah. Uh, and the first time we saw Peter O'Sullivan was at uh, Kima. Kima. Yeah, I recall with, from <laughs> Luke invited us. So that that was awesome. That that was another stepping stone, at least for me, with changing what my dialogue was with patients because he was very firm on presenting this incredible research that showed just a basic thing that coming from a strength conditioning background, the rounded or stoop squat wasn't harming the discs and things like that. So that was, I was, I was sitting there just like, what is he talking about? Like, this is, this is crazy. That was, that was great though. They had like the, had patients, you know, patients came in and, and I've, I've definitely continued to use that, 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 that style of dialogue, basically challenging their perspective in a gentle way. You know, mm-hmm. not not going against the wall, but saying exactly what Luke just said. You know, very specific questions on trying to identify their beliefs, and um, and getting them to identify their own beliefs because they might not even be conscious of these beliefs. Uh, but all critical, critical stuff um, mm-hmm. that we hope everyone starts to jump on board with. Yeah, but I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is the hope. Now, do you do you see that uh, the Noi Group? Being kind of, uh, are you guys expanding to other courses? I know there's uh, neuromobilization. Is that the one that you teach now? Yeah, you... yeah mobilization of the neuroimmune system. Okay. Um, which goes over more of the, as David called it, the touchy feeling. Look, you can teach the touchy feeling ones. It's like the, it's the, you know, the upper limb tension test, the slump test, but incorporating them, even those tests, the, the philosophy and the theory has changed somewhat, but. Um, tying in more practical applications of explained pain, which is what the feedback that we often get is like, well, how do we do this in practice? So that one, and then the greater motor imagery, which mm. is using looking at left right discrimination using yes. the apps, um, and then you know looking at visualization and creative imagery, which is so key, and that's why I think never be afraid to just find out what the patient loves and how to, you know, visualization, you know, go to, go to your safe place. Where is it? Close your eyes for a minute. Just take mm-hmm. a couple of breaths. Where are you? You want a beach? You're in the mountain. I'm on a beach. You're by yourself or you're with someone else. I'm mm-hmm. with my dog. You start to get what we call the, the Sims, the safety in me, right? The dims of the danger in me, the dim Sims. So, so you start to sort of getting that imagery, right? Can you imagine yourself? Oh, you're walking along the beach. Oh, great. How does it feel? Oh, I'm walking. Oh, but I can't walk. <laughs> but you are. You go into a different part of the brain. And that is really important because then that movement, without you, 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 you're moving, with, you're using and activating and waking up some of those neurons 
um, without activating the pain neurotag. So you're still, you know, neurons in the motor cortex, the sensory cortex, the, the prefrontal cortex are going to be activated. Mm. Um, and it's like visualization, right? You've got, if you're doing an external rotation with a shoulder, you, with a small little weight, so right, pretend it's 50 pound weight. What happens? You're going to get greater level of motor recruitment um, if you can really take yourself there and, and visualize an image. So that's a that's another great course. That, mm-hmm. I'd love to take I'm it. Biased, when are I'm you? Teaching. Where? Where? where <laughs> how close are these courses? I'm thinking right now. I'm like, I got to I got to take a course. I'm feeling itchy. I haven't I haven't been to a last We studied for OCS, OCS, FRC, but I, I got to. What, where where is a let's do a little plug here <laughs> plug. Wait, how, well there was going to be one in New York at the end of April but I think if you go to the Noi website uh, Noi.com gotcha uh, Noigroup.com sorry I mm. should know that we'll better sorry no. <laughs> sorry David <laughs> <laughs> no I gotta I would Not so there marketer. might be one in New York well that might have got canceled does that cancel no oh. no it might have been changed I've got to a conference gotcha. in Europe I think San Diego San Diego uh, yeah come to San Diego it's fun 23 Beach. to 24 is that right in March? That's in March, yeah, that's coming up. Wow. Um, I don't know where that is. Flemington? That's New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I go to all sorts of weird and wonderful places, but it's it's very interesting. Actually, you spoke about US and Canada. Also, I taught in um, uh, Alabama Did last you? year. Damn. And it was amazing. They were so open. You know, you go down to the deep south in this clinic, they they have an art studio across, they're loving it, they're all into the pain science. And awesome. and which is great because that's where they have, you know, opioidic epidemics. Yeah. And it's really, yeah. really that that's where really it's critical because there are avenues to um alternatives to obviously opioids. Right. Um for, for pain and, and educating people how opioids, while they might help the nociceptive system, um, are also foreign uh, Substance, substances right. that your immune system eventually is going to start attacking. So that's when you can get opioid-induced hyperalgesia mm, um, because, yeah. because the immune system is more powerful. It's controlling more in that you know than the single nociceptive. So over time, and that's when you can get, you know, your addictions and yeah, it's so it's really so it's really you know it's been interesting and and I've enjoyed it going to going to the small. They're like, why are you going there? I'm like, because you you get something out of everywhere you go. Absolutely. So you I, I know, would... I've been fortunate to go to some amazing places in the world, and and mm. then you know that includes Hell some man. of these small towns <laughs> that I never would have thought. You know, it's not that I'm going on vacation there, but it's. <laughs> That, awesome. It's Louisiana. That, yeah. The difference in um, patient population, where we have patients, obviously the people in New York City that take pain, pain medication, but they're a little uh, skeptical of opioids. And I'm, mm. I'm making a large generalization. There's, I'm sure tons of people on opioids. But the crew we see here in Midtown, they're very resistant to, uh, to it. Yeah. That being said, if they're in acute pain, chances are they're going to have some kind of pain pain meds sure yeah. yeah and it's but i think there you know it's it's the the other thing we talk about is is um pain um yeah pain liter, literacy like how you know and and in cities you know they're, they're not that the more educated the better they are dealing with it because often they're still looking for a passive approach right. absolutely <laughs> but, want to get fixed. but it's yeah but it's um but you know that's important and that's why you know the education you know 
proper education that's curriculum based, that's got a structure, that's got goals, that's got a plan, that's not just throwing a pamphlet at someone right. and pretending you've educated or talking at someone. That's not it's interactive adult learning education mm. delivered in um, a systematic um, and intentional manner, which is then going to help you know drive. Um, you know, learning about pain can help pain. That's one of the target concepts of Explain Pain. So. Well said. And spot on. I mean, um, damn, I, I wish you could give a course, a few courses, <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking of places we can course this up. When's your next course? When? Where Where are you teaching next? I think the San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. That's, that's I, got, I got Luke's schedule right here. <laughs> San Diego, oh, Flemington, going to Flemington, Rhode Island. Uh, then you're going to Australia. Yeah, Noosa. Yeah, sweet in August. In August, shy yeah. town in September. Is it um in August? Is that's when it's winter in Australia? Yeah, but Noosa is like um, the northern part of Australia. That's the first course I'm doing up there. Actually, that's oh. that's oh. going to be also with that's with David Butler and we because cool. the idea is we're we're trying to evolve the courses a little bit and you know being I've always said I'm I'm still primarily a clinician and. It's fundamentally important to me to be able to help or at least um, impart ways of incorporating the scientific principles into clinical practice because that's what I do and that's in, that's how it's going to be effectively delivered. Absolutely. One body at a time. <laughs> I think you well said about throwing a pamphlet or kind of talking to someone because often in school, you know, I guess in um, – within graduate school that that's kind of like a, a goal like oh create a pamphlet you know what's pain you know give education but that level of interaction really identifying a person's learning style getting them into a safe place you know all these key little nuggets you're throwing at us right now um are much more beneficial than the pamphlet it's a systemic scientific intentional there's a very key word mm -hmm. uh where i think sometimes it's haphazardly thrown around i mean i i Personally, I've thrown it around myself and had less success with being a little system, you know, mm -hmm. having more of a system. But I think just even even learning, you can pick up a lot even without – I used to say, you know, your patience your best continuing education yes. course. You know, like, Luke, what course should I take? What course should I take? Because it's like your patience are your best continuing education course. Just mm -hmm. use and apply and, and challenge yourself and, and move yourself out of that comfort zone a little bit. And, and you can learn so much just from – a patient that maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to see. You, you know, you, you get that patient on a Friday afternoon, and you're tired, and <laughs> you know, here we go, another one of these. You've got <laughs> your own biases, and like, right, this is the one. There's a reason I'm seeing this person. They're yeah. a con they're my continuing education course for the month, and and you can get that conceptual change because everyone's they've been thrown around from person to person like an unpopular mother-in-law. That's what my uncle used to say, but they're thrown around and passed around. And you're actually taking the time to listen to them, to see beyond their pain, to see beyond their frustration and anger, and they're rude. They're just rude. Um, you see beyond that, <laughs> and they that can be that, that that even if they don't express it, you know, there's a there is sometimes a an often there's, there's an appreciation there just from a human point of view, okay. um, and they can be your best educators. Oh, yeah. for sure. So if I'd thrown out all those patients i would have probably not <laughs> wouldn't have not been able learn. to treat i wouldn't have learned and, and probably not be able to treat as effectively too 
It's easy to treat the easy ones. It's nice to be nicer than nice. It's yeah, you, man, you've instilled it's, that. It's harder I mean, to be. <laughs> you instilled that early on. I recall having difficulty. Well, I would try to pass them on. He's like, no, <laughs> you work it. you've got to figure this one out. You know, you got to figure. And it was it was great because you're right. I mean, it's um, you kind of forced they, to forced to, to interact to interact. And I think at the end of the day, that when you do connect with that uh, complex patient, we'll call them. Uh, when you in, you know when you do connect, you're like, wow, you know that the next complex person isn't as complex. No, seen you're right. <laughs> yeah, because you've done it, you've practiced it. You know, right. it's all about you know repetitions. We do it at the gym all the time. So, yeah. Uh, there was a chiropractor who referred a patient to me recently, and he he was it was in person. He gave me this fair warning. He was like, oh, they're really difficult. Da da da. And I remember meeting the person. I was like, they're like the nicest. I was like, you don't. Like this, exactly. we've gone through some stuff before. Like this is kind of uh, this is cake, and in terms of the challenges they present, which they didn't re- present too many, but it, it was in a sense that going through those those reps of those patients and really trying to figure out, and it, it's just mainly listening for the most part. You're just sitting there listening and acknowledging, but also trying to give them as mo- many options that they they can handle and that they can yeah. work with. Um, that that is very empowering in a sense for for them. But then you see that, and I was like, all right, well, that will definitely work for this person and this person so yeah that's very helpful and that's important to do and then but you know butler will call it holistic confrontation with humility like without mm. trying to be too arrogant about it it says it's you need to sometimes it, it can be healthy to to move from that you know something was done to me you know that the victim mindset to then taking ownership empowering responsibility which is evolution in anyone's learning uh self-actualization right. mm. and you, you need that healthy holistic confrontation to say right and I've had patients that will you were mean to me and oh, sh- I was mean to the poor thing and then a year later <laughs> like why are you booking more appointments why are you coming back if I was so mean and then one person said did I really hurt you or did I just really piss you off uh, <laughs> the truth comes and out and it sure is probably the yeah, someone off. told me that it's like at first the truth will piss you off then it shall set you free <laughs> it's true you know nice. but it but yeah. you, you've got to be, but you do have to be mindful of the sensitivities, particularly in today's society. And I've, uh, you know, I have to be very aware of it because, you know, we're, we're involved in a profession that's um, confronting, you know, we're touching, we, we don't know what's, you know, we have to find out what's going on with that person. And mm. we need to be aware of our own health and well-being and fatigue levels. And, you know, Lee will know it's sort of, <laughs> hang on, Luke, stop. Pause. You're in, <laughs> you're addicted now. You need to take a little breather. Yeah, that's and it's so true. true. Because otherwise, you know what? I don't believe I did anything really bad to that person. But you know what? I probably didn't explain myself well. I probably mm. they don't know who I am. They didn't know um, that I was joking, maybe, or I had a sarcasm element to me. They, 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 I, I've got to I've got to be take a little step back and mm. be a little bit less energetic, perhaps. You know, or mm. be a little bit more. Um, up front, right, this is how I treat the human body. And I've had a lot of patients, I've asked them, I've said, look, what would you suggest oh, I do? Because that's, cool. that's the other thing. How do you become a better therapist? Just ask your patients, how do I be a better therapist? Ask mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. you know, what yep. could I do? Well, Luke, perhaps if you said, you know, well, the way I work is that I look at you as a unified being first, not just your body part. So is it okay if I touch here or there or otherwise, you know, it's you know, they think, oh, you're poking me all over the place. Right. It's my elbow that hurts. Yeah. Why are well, you, you, you know, before you put your fingers in, I said, well, well, with your breath, try and push my fingers away. Don't let me hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it's know, key. So, you, you know, and, and, and being aware of that as a 
clinician, I think, is really important. I've, you know, learned the hard way many times. And <laughs> well, I think we all have. But, you know, our state often affects our patient. I mean, it is such a, as you said, you know, there's so many, it's a complex, a lot of complex things going on between touch, the person's in pain. But knowing where you are is critical. I mean, Luke passed on, what did we, how did we get into I got into meditation somehow through you. Well, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. The um, do you remember the you, you took us to um, these two guys who I can't remember the name of. They were speaking at the uh, Rubin Museum. Oh, oh yes, that remember cool, that, man? Yes, what and they it was fantastic because they they were like the two. I think one was representing just general meditation. The other one was like mindfulness, or maybe I got yeah. that mixed up. But yeah, it was one maybe one mindfulness, That's one right. TM. That I was forgot, great. That was I, I that. totally forgot about that too. That was yeah. a great. Oh, yeah. That was a great two hour. Because they presented all this research on opioids and versus med- uh, meditation. Yeah, looking what happens, looking at functional MRIs and what happens in the brain. There's a, a plethora of, of research on the effectiveness of it in mm-hmm. reducing reactivity, um, improving your immune system. You know, and I, I first presented, it's a funny story because I, in 2005, I actually had a little visa issue and um, I was meant to come back into the country and I, my visa hadn't been renewed yet and I needed an excuse. And one of my patients said, Luke, go to this. It was an Eastern Western medicine conference. It was like the Dalai Lama and a bunch of German neuroscientists in D.C., so I needed a reason to come back into the country under a, you know, a temporary visa waiver. So I just took myself um, to this course, and it was where it really opened my eyes into, oh wait a minute, actually, you know, this meditation thing. Everyone's <laughs> like, well, accident. running is my meditation. Well, yeah, that's how you get into your flow. That's how you calm you. But it's still sympathetically driven. It's not yes. parasympathetically driven. I said, well. Yeah, but it still took me, even after 2005, like eight years to actually start engaging in daily practice of meditation. That was the TM yes, instructor. Yes, the TM instructor. Oh. And then I saw Jack, uh, Jack Kornfeld. I went to a oh, seminar and I came back that. and I remember telling, asking Luke, we need to implement this in the company. <laughs> He's like, you you should practice. You know, and I was like, oh, no, but we should. He's like, practice, see how it goes. So it was like six <laughs> to nine months and I was like, whoa, this is, it took a while to to connect, but um, yeah, it was instrumental on a lot of uh, yeah, great ma- things. Maybe we could have done more of that in the company, like implementing, like get, because hard. not everyone's going to sort of necessarily buy it, or everyone's going to take their time. But I think we probably could have been a little more proactive in saying, right, we're going to have no, but it's tougher. But no, I mean, you're, to your point was, you know, you. <laughs> How are you going to pass it on to everybody without actually trying it? You know, or you've got to do it yourself. You do I mean, because being, you know, it's the being, right. you know, learn it yourself and 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 exist in that frame of mind. And that's what I, you know, with the therapist, I'll be like, well, if we're asking our patients to conceptually change, we need to practice what we preach a little bit, or at least Absolutely. do our best toward that. Absolutely. 100%. No, and I, you know, we we kind of rant on the podcast about others that don't and that kind of irritates us um, we don't as well i mean we're all here yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly we're never in the perfect you know no. the perfect glass state. houses throwing stones or whatever it is yeah the plank in the eye That's oh yeah, yeah, yeah the, um, what is it? <laughs> i don't Before remember you pull the, the uh, splinter but... out of someone else's eye remove the plank of wood in front of your own and you'll see more clearly that's a good one it's a clear uh, i got a, a lot of planks in my eyes so, <laughs> <laughs> but it was um no, it was instrumental, and I think in passing it on with patients, at least, Headspace is a little uh, in- good entry point, I think, for some people that um, are a little tech-savvy, that like the visual, the 
this guy. I mean, it's I believe it's mindful meditation, but uh, I passed that along. And again, the right kind of pa- the right timing to talk th- about this with a patient because they could be offended. You know, if you off the bat, you tell them, "Hey, you need you should be meditating, or maybe this will help." But um, thank you for passing it on. That was a great experience. Yeah. Both that one and then the there was another you know another course you sent me to on meditation. It was really cool. But uh, it, it was it was good because again I pass it on to a lot of my patients and circle. Yeah. And the other the way the other way around that is rather than sort of directing, well, you should do this. It's like you know, have you ever tried that? Have you thought about that? And then you learn like, what 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 are your barriers? Well, why? Well, then then they sort of oh well yeah, I better mm-hmm. right. But it's um that's no, very very useful. I've been you know lucky to have been exposed to it. I guess. So. Do you see um. Do you see some of your pro athletes? Some of these pro athletes are there, mm. are there using methods to kind of balance out their systems? De- definitely, they're starting because it's becoming a little trendier. And, and uh, I think you know Kobe, you know, uh, you know some high profile athletes. And I had one guy even ask me about it last year. This, so uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been difficulty sleeping a little bit. Like you know, I, I, can, I can meditate a little bit. You know. Feels good. Feels good. Uh, Relaxing. <laughs> wow, this guy's a good impersonator. Right? Uh, so you know, uh, have you done it? Well, mm, I I need to do it again. I need to do it more. So. Uh, I might I might match that voice, and I'm not going to ask. So, um, but that that's why that is cool though. It, it is becoming mainstream. Uh, differences in your athletes to your high powered. Attorneys or your New York Type A crowd, what are some uh, similarities, differences in working with a pro? It's a great question. Um, it's funny the high powered people love the athletes and the the actors, you know, and, and then the the athletes love the the, the money guys, you know, yes, <laughs> they're, yes. because they're, they're, it's competitive. They're very driven. They're, they have they exhibit a lot of similar qualities. Um, athletes are just so much more in in tune to their body, bodies and their their bodies of their life, but you know. Um, I think there are a lot of they're, – they're, they're open to learning. They're not afraid to be challenged. In fact, they like to be challenged um, uh, with in a way that's, you know, being an equal to them, not putting them down. Um, and I think, you know, the differences are, I guess, athletes, you know, you, for the most part, they're a lot younger. You know, it's been interesting treating athletes as a 44-year-old as opposed to, you know, as a 30-year-old because you sort of start to say, oh, wait a minute, yeah. Not that they've, they haven't – sometimes they haven't had the same – got to think – Life experience. Of, yeah, they haven't had the opportunity to learn or we, – we think of them in some ways they've had to grow up so quickly and they're – now with social media, there's so much pressure on these guys, you know, that they've got a following while in some ways they've got a lot more control you know the nba they call it well it's a uh, it's a players league but the the with that comes the pressure you know the, the, <laughs> the gift comes people. a responsibility and that and that then ties into how they are with their bodies and i think that's why um it would be great to see a certain level of mandatory education in what in the teams school? In a way that's done, that's fun, that's engaging, that's that's actually sparks a, a curiosity to learn. But I think a lot of them are very driven, and um, a lot of the athletes then go on to do other things. You know, and I've seen that. You know, the ones that I'll treat, they'll be investing. They'll ask. You know, I loved having the open treatment space. You know, I'd have the the, the New York 
you know, high-powered finance real estate guy next to the professional athlete, next to the, you know, the, the average, the university student, and they'd all sort of talk. But the same brain, the same mind was sort of engaged there um, rather than just segregating them all. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, I miss that. I definitely miss uh, the interaction of that crossover. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool though. It's a lot of similarities, some differences between age and and the such. Yeah, yeah, but even 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 age. I mean, you can have some very incredibly mature twenty two year olds and not so mature sixty three year olds. You know, right. it's just in terms of how they process information and how willing they are to trust right. and accept. Like, why? You, tell me, how is this related to my thing? Why are we doing this? Or, you know, and it's. It's interesting to see, you know, that humans are humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. This okay. is a, a little of a tangent on a question, though. In creating, I don't know, and then creating your company in the past, picking or uh, criteria for finding talent or hiring people. Well, we had Australian, New Jersey, <laughs> New Jersey and, and Gay A. No, um, we had, we had a, we had a, um, we had a, you know, it was an open the doors and they would come. We never really interviewed. Mm-hmm. We had our, you know, the university stream. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, you know, Australia. I'd get calls all the time. Luke, can I come and work in the US? And I'm like, oh, okay, we'll give you a visa. Um, we had a lot of people that, I guess we just, it was word of mouth. And, mm-hmm. and, and if people showed enough interest, eventually I'd say, all right. Put them in. <laughs> right, put them in, yeah. Would I do that same method again, maybe a little bit differently? Right. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's um, hard. But I mean. at that time, we uh, I said we had like a, you know, and there were three of us. It wasn't just me at the company. We had Adam and, and Mike and, and we all brought something to the table. And I think the, the, the combination of people that we brought in created something there that was pretty special that, you know, I think – you know, we, you know, I look back and I'm so lucky to like what we had. And, and it was, you know, it was like any family. We had our differences with the yeah, <laughs> people yeah. within it. But it was, um, I think it was the, the fact that we didn't, we weren't that strict. But it was like, all right, if you show that you're really, really interested, right, then you can do something here. And Adam would say, well, if you want to make more money, just bring in more, like just show us that you can do it. And our middle management was made up of like 24 to 27 year olds. It was like, <laughs> right, right. we didn't have that necessary experience, but we had, we, we were a tra- an institution for young professionals, I guess. That's the, right. you know. No, because it's definitely, we talk about it and we have all the guests on here that have been part of the company. Mm-hmm. And then just like the glory days of, you know, everybody, just added something different and um you know different yeah. mindset different different difference yeah we we also i think we did have more structured together time too right. you yes, know i used to yes, yes. i used to try that active continuing education where you'd all do trapeze and i used to get so upset when you know, people wouldn't want to come like I don't want to come oh that's great pilates yeah. or you know just mm. trying different activities together um but yeah look it's it, it, you know, it, we took a shot and right. no, I see a lot. We won of, some, we lost some. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> part of it. But I seeing you know, in, in inter- interviewing and being around a lot of different business owners, you know, you hear the repetitive thing of you know, good people hard to find. You know, c- consistent people or people that interview well or 
make a good first impression that don't necessarily. So yeah, I mean, I'm coming to a point where I might be in a position to offer something, and I um I say to myself, wow, you know, you know, there's a risk involved. There's a there's always there's a risk. Yeah. It's a vibe, and sometimes you, the person that you're attracted to the most isn't necessarily the right person for the job mm-hmm. or the position, right, right, you know, right. because you get. You'll end up just, in a, oh yeah, that's it's like you know going for the bad girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. You just right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern. Yep, yep, that's all. <laughs> but you know, we we had a lot of therapists that were a little different. You know, I had a lot right. of therapists that were well structured, right. and sometimes right. it annoyed me because, oh, it's but then no. it was, um, it was really good because they probably liked the, um, you know, my. Not my flexible structure. They right, right, they right. need they like the chameleon aspect of it. Right. right. But I like their, you know, their structure, consistent. order, consistency, be on time. Yes. You know, yes. I'm not going to deviate. I've got a boundary here, and mm-hmm. you know that was always a little hard. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> Just come yes. in, okay. So it, it's very very important to have a blend of personalities, and not necessarily that person that you immediately are attracted to. Got it. Um. Got it. But, you know, and then that's why having, having, you know, it, it was a blessing and curse having the partners, you know, it was. Right. <laughs> well, they have, everybody's think, a different opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and otherwise it, it, it forces you to, to think outside of yourself and to not just do it the way that you would do it. Even though sometimes you think it would be better, like, you know, being a sole practitioner, you think, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, no, it is tough. <laughs> it was it good. Is. It is good to have some backup and, and to be able to. To be able to trust, yes, and to be able to just blanketly say, you know what, I am taking a risk here, but I have a feeling that there, right, <laughs> it's gonna. Oh, I want to see where it goes. You know, my curious yeah. mind would also win over sometimes. I mean, yep, that's that went exactly how how I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, it's an interesting. You know, I have a lot. You know, looking back, I say to myself, wow, I'm in this. You know, this place, and it would be great to have uh someone to push ideas off of and but um but that was you know like you said blessing and the curse of having additional partners uh working with you but i think if you if you yeah the key is to have that education you know the the learning that having a stimulating learning environment and an interactive environment um attracts it does a, yeah. it's a, the, the, you know, the law of attraction I, I strongly believe that and it get, just gets people better <laughs> oh mm-hmm. for sure yeah, I, again, miss that that structured, uh, you know, once a month journals, once a month some kind of con ed. Yeah, the yeah the PT project. Were you there for that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. I wrote that. a couple articles for the PT yeah. project. project. I, I, was... I did an article on compression uh, compression socks. Or compression. compression <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I think it was. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember the PT project. Yeah. Ben Gold. My mom wrote an article about yeah. diet because she was oh, a Czech right. practitioner. Yeah. I remember she talked with Adam right before he ran the marathon, and Adam was asking her because she her big thing was nutrition, and he was like, you know, I have this going on in my hip. What do you think coffee does for da da da? She gave him all that, but uh, I'll never yeah. forget that. Yeah, Adam signed me up for a marathon. Luke, you, you're doing the marathon in six weeks. You know, we, <laughs> we had the, the back of my feet six group. Weeks. You know, oh like, my God. That. All right, the metronome. <laughs> the metronome. metronome. I, I passed that one on too recently. Oh, not recently, but. That metronome. Well, I tell you what, I did a better marathon and I was I felt great, you know, compared with the one I'd done in two thousand one. I, I vowed never to do it again. I followed the strict structured program and I'm like, 
um, the first time. And then the second time I was like, all right, let's do it methodically using a metronome, just getting symmetry and building slowly. And yeah. better. That was definitely a secret weapon. That metronome, People thought yeah. I was crazy. I'm like, you listen to that whole thing. I'm like, yeah, mm. it works. It just, um, or then you use it, you know, if you're losing rhythm, you could use like little five minute clips of it. Or yeah, it's mm -hmm. like you refocus. It's like your mantra. <laughs> it is, mm -hmm. and I think there's a power to that. Um, there's a power to that. Actually, it's five oh five. I, I can't gonna, no, I was, gonna, yeah. I was gonna put the I was gonna the metro. Put it, it, play it. I was gonna play the little metro. I did it today. I do it to all my patients. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I do it for wa walking. I use it for and even for for strength and condition. For some of the pro athletes, they're like they're auditory learners. You know, they, they love their beat, but just to get them. Out of that, oh, what should I be focusing on? My my hip, my knee, my and using an external attention of focus. Um, you know, the the body figures it out. The body's very smart. There it is <laughs> for the public who doesn't know what the metronome sounds like. There would always be like it's a free routine. App. It's free app. There would be like, all right, uh, I would be treating a patient, and I hear Luke working with this patient, and then about maybe thirty minutes, and the talk would still go on, and then I would hear that, right. and then they would be walking back and forth. Oh no, I, I would Bet do this. Feet to the beat. Yeah. Jen used to be pissed because her office was right there and, and near the hallway, and, and I'd go. be walking by, and she'd just look at me and just oh, close the door. Oh, that <laughs> fucking but no, that the hallway in, in Union Square. Yeah, we would always, yeah. uh, it was. Uh, it, was again, music, it, was, it was music to my ears to see the, the therapist actually using it. That's great. It was a great, great technique. But uh, I looks like any any other points we want to cover. Yeah. Any, look, any closing? Because um, damn, that went by fast. Yeah, as I expected. Was it quickie? Yeah. It <laughs> was. It was. We got to have to be back on. Um, hopefully, we could plug all of this. Actually. Um, I guess on the show notes we can do that, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll, put, we'll put links to um, definitely the Noi group and then anything else that you want. And the, to put the pain to. revolution. Look up Lorimer's body and mind too. Yeah, cool. It'd be great if if people could. Um, there's these links to that. They're looking for donations to get more research dollars. It costs a lot to put on an RCTs like over a million dollars. So you know, if anyone can look up if you can put that on. I'll give you the the link. Um, I think yeah. painrevolution.org. Absolutely. Um, it's really, really uh, a fantastic um, initiative. Absolutely. Um, um, but any closing you guys. points? Yeah. Um, look, just uh, <laughs> pain is real. It's not in their head. It's. Um, I think. I think just you know, for 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 practitioners, for for fitness, you know, strength and conditioning, just you know, change things up a little bit. Um, be uh, be open to learning. Try to, um, hmm, how do I wear this? <laughs> Breathe first and breathe. <laughs> <laughs> talk less. But I think re remember the idea that the patient's not all messed. Oh, he, he told me I was all messed up. This hip and patients. You don't even need to say it, and patients will hear it. Remember that. So just, but think of it. You know, change your words around. Fault becomes default. It's not a bad thing. It's. We are we're we're creatures of change and and adapted. We're um, and and you know let's let's work on that. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Motion absolutely. is lotion. <laughs> Motion yeah. is lotion. Uh, it's been a a pleasure and an honor to have you on. It's LP. been a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, thank so you happy so much. To, thank we, you guys. We hope, uh, yeah. On our next round, have you back on to expand what we've we've worked on right now? But thank you. Really yeah. until then. Yeah. Until <laughs> yes. then. Until then. May the force be with you. Force <laughs> <And> you, Luke. <laughs> signing off. All right. Thank, thank you, Luke. Thank you, guys. All, All right. right signing off. Ciao. Bye.
Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 